No, no. So, so note to self, we actually don't drink Fosters. The Fosters that we get here is horrible. The stuff we export apparently is very good. Wait, so I thought Fosters was Australian for beer. Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 40 for the 19th of May, 2023. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, we take a look at what happened at the Data Cloud and AI Summit, Google gets some new data tools, we have some horror stories, and can the AIs read our minds now? But before we get to any of that, I'd like to welcome the co-hosts of the show, Ian Brown. How are you going, Ian? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing, mate? Awesome, mate. Awesome. And a uh, special welcome today to uh, co-host from the our internal data domain at Casna. It's Dorinda Nath. How are you going, Dorinda? Hey, Banky. Great. How are you? Good, mate. Good, good, good. And a very, very, very special guest today. It's the data nerd himself, the god of data. It's Bruno Aziza. How are you going, Bruno? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Good, good, mate. Really, really happy to have you on the show. This is something special. I'm glad you made the time to join us today. Thanks for having me. I wish I could be there in person. Ah, uh, yes. Well, uh, what's the time there at the moment? I mean, we're, we're, we're rocking here. What's 9.30 at the moment? Yeah, so it's 4.30 p.m. Pacific time. Ah, uh, nice. And, uh, yeah, and... Uh, well, it's the beginning you, of my day as well. The be- beginning? <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice one, Bruno. That's a nice one, yeah. So um, we'll get on to a few things. We've got a few questions for you, Bruno, a bit oh, later. Oh, whoa, 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 Banky. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, oh. Are you kidding me? We can't really talk to Bruno. We, we're just not no. prepared. We don't have the right gear for it, man. No, we don't. All right. Yeah, I think, yeah I think we I need to prep up. So are, yeah. are you guys ready? Well, I'm ready. Three, yeah, let's prep up. Yeah, three, two, one, go. There we oh, go. Oh, wow. We're good yeah. now. We're, now we're talking, yeah. <laughs> now, now we're, we're Bruno talking. ready, yeah. I hope you got your sunnies, Bruno, because we're ready to rock here. <laughs> <laughs> you guys look great. Yeah. And of course, for those of you that can't see, which is everyone, we've all got sunglasses on now. And if you if you watch the, the car casts at all, then that's that's the whole uh, whole meme that happens within car casts. <laughs> um, all right. I do have to take them off, though, because otherwise I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to do a selfie so we can we can publish it online and, and people can see what you guys yeah, look yeah. like. Well, we've got the recording, so uh, we can we might be able to take a little screenshot out of the recording, yeah. Yeah, that should be uh, the podcast thumbnail now. All right. Well, um, usually we kick off the show with a bit of tech adventures. Now, Ian, you've been playing with Vincuna. I have indeed. So, so obviously I had access to Bard from uh, last fortnight's uh, show, and I asked it a few questions and got some some really cool answers out of it. Uh, the the main one, obviously, it was it was Star Wars Day on the last show, and and uh, and I had to I had to get some help from Bard on how Google Cloud could help um, the Rebel Alliance succeed. That's right. So I thought, what better question to ask Vakuna than how can Google Cloud help the Rebel Alliance? <laughs> and look, did it give it's you a giving, decent answer? It's given me some different answers. Um. Still perfectly valid. Right. Like, really, like uh, data analysis and visualization, that just goes with the theme of this show. Yeah, yeah. Um, machine learning, cloud storage, yeah. um, networking and connectivity, and cybersecurity. Yeah. Cybersecurity wasn't one that Bard came up with, so I was actually quite impressed with that. 
That's a really good answer because we basically landed on cybersecurity and data and visualization. That's kind of you looked had all the data and the AI stuff, and I was looking at the security side of things. But yep. yeah, it's picked up a few other things there. It's awesome. Yeah, no, it it was really cool. It the the one thing that I didn't really like about it is what when you ask Bart a question, it just comes back with an answer. Like there's a whole block of text mm. there that it gives you. When you ask Vacuna an answer, it's sort of it's as if someone's sitting there typing it out on a screen, which is somewhat annoying. You right. Wait for it. Yeah. Right. It sort of it sort of sets you back a little bit. It's like is someone actually typing that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, surely someone's not actually validating this, are they? Uh, yeah, I love the fact that Bard gives you multiple suggestions, and you can also go go through and see all the other answers it had prepared. So it definitely does uh, some some extra thinking behind the scenes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah right. I, I love Bard. I, I'm using it quite a lot these days. Yeah. Um, one of the other ones that we touched on in the last show was um, a, a code snippet for React on how to use uh, GCP's identity platform. Um, I've done it a heap of times, so it was like, let's just throw that question in there because I know what to expect. And it came back with pretty much the exact code that I used. Uh, I did exactly <laughs> the same thing with Vacuna, and it gave me an entirely different answer. Still logically valid, though. Yeah, nice. And the thing about Vacuna is you can run it on your own laptop. That's that's yep. that's the thing about it. Um, it's it's open source, and oh yeah, I, yeah, it, it's it gives me shivers to think where this is going to be. I mean, this is only since February we've seen this explosion in this happening. Um, I'm mean, we we're going to be at the end of the year. It's just incredible. Yeah. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll get onto some AI, more AI stuff later in the show. But um, D, I hear you got some new Rego plates for your Tesla. <laughs> Yeah, believe it or not, mate, I mean, I couldn't decide whether I drive my passion or the passion drives me. So there is G Cloud and there's Tesla. So I just, yeah, why not? I just got got G G Cloud. Cloud, It's it's GC10UD. That's right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it's unmistakable. Bruno, you got any special plates on your Tesla? You know, I'm very boring. Actually, the only person in my family that has. a customized uh, license plates is my son, and he uses his uh, gamer handle uh, on his license plate. But uh, uh, you know, mine uh, the thing is, a, is a set of numbers completely random, provided by the government. I don't really uh, think about my license plate much. Oh, In go. fact, I like. I'm kind of. Um, how would I say this? Uh, I don't like to change my cars at all, so I don't change the inside. I don't change the outside. I like to just keep it as original as it as it can. Ah, so no if you come to my there. car for a car cast, you'll see it just looks like the day I picked it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of spending thousands of dollars, we've got the Medibank. Now, Bruno, you may not be familiar with this, and just a little bit of backstory for, um, for the listeners as well. Uh, Medibank uh, and AHM are uh, one of Australia's biggest private health insurers and there was a massive data leak, um, when was it, six months ago now? And some, something silly like six million or seven million um, personal identities were leaked. 9.7 million. 9.7 million, up. yeah. Let's just go over the numbers again. Um, I think it's in that article they talk about it, don't they? Um, yeah, here we go. Yeah. The October data breach hit 9.7 million policyholders, including 5.1 million Medibank and 2.8 million customer holders of Medibank. Now, Ian, there's a class action happening. There is indeed. So Slater and Gordon um, have uh, lodged a class action against Medibank. 
And the class action is alleging that uh, Medibank has breached its contractual obligations to customers to whom it assured it had adequate and appropriate security controls in place to protect their info. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, it also it also claims that they did not uh, they did they failed to comply with their legal ob- obligation in covering the collection. So removing it when it was no longer required and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That also mention of. Um, not very clearly mentioning how they are going to use it and also what they're going to use and when and for how long they're going to keep that information on their systems. Yeah, it's pretty serious. Yeah, yeah, very. Wow. Well, I better put my hand up for that as well because uh, I'm an AHM customer. Yeah, thankfully yeah. I've never been any of those customers. But the other thing is like it's hit 1.8 million international customers as well. Yeah. So part of that 9.7, you've got 5.1 Medibank, mm. 2.8 AHM customers, and 1.8 international customers. So think international students that come over and have to have private health insurance. They're, nice. they're now compromised, so all of their private information is gone. And their PII was in the data. In the, yeah, wow. Yep. Yep. And they may have gone yep. home, but their PII is still here. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty serious stuff. All right, well, we'll keep a track of that as it goes along um, and make sure, you know, if you're affected, then get involved with that class action. Um, that's the way to send a, a strong message, I think. Um, Google I.O. Got to mention Google I.O. I just threw this into the notes right now. Um, now, I think it starts 10, what is it, Bruno, 10 p.m. Pacific time? Um, that's that tomorrow for you? That is two more for us, yeah. Yeah, um, I just went through and picked out a few things. We've got uh, what's new in Gen AI, Gen AI uh, what's new in ML, and what's new in AR. Oh, you know, you know how I feel about AR. <laughs> and key passes mentioned a few times. So, or uh, pass key. Oh, oh pass key. You know, I'm going to keep doing that now. Pass key. <laughs> So, yeah, if you haven't signed up for Google a, uh, Google I.O., then go and do that um, and you'll get pinged on um, on what uh, talks and events are on. All right, should we get on with the show, guys? Let's do it. Let's get on let's with the show. Let's do it, yeah. All right, let's do it. Let's get on. All right, so as tradition has it, and uh, because we've got two new people on the show, uh, Dee and Bruno, of course, then when you come onto the show for the first time, you have to bring a horror story. Now, it's a tech horror story. It can be self-deprecating. It can be one of your colleagues. Keep it fun. Keep it light. Just to have a bit of a laugh. And, and I thought we'll get Ian to break the ice because as the co-host, we don't often get to, uh, get to tell one. So if you've got a quick one for us, Ian, that'd be great. Yeah, sure. Uh, so not that long ago, I was presenting at a, um, a Google meetup group here in Brizzy, uh, and I was presenting on Terraform within GCVE. Um, you and I, Banky, we both love our GCVE, and we both loved our, our Terraform. So anyway, I had the I stood the cluster up in the morning, and, and I was having trouble come lunchtime. I couldn't get access to it, and things just weren't working the way they should, and I was like, oh, I've broken something when I stood it up. I don't know what's going on here. So I deleted it and, and, and stood it up again, went back to the docs, stood it up properly, and the same thing happened. And, and so I hadn't tested the Terraform code that I'd written the night before <laughs> on, this, on this cluster. Like, it all logically made sense to me. So anyway, I get into the, into the meetup and I was there and we had, um, we had the, CTO, the field CTO of, of um, HashiCorp um, Terraform there as well. Uh, who, who's a lovely bloke and gave a great talk on how great Terraform is. But anyway, I get up to, to do this. I get into, the, into the, the meetup and I'm talking to the Google guys and they thankfully have a cluster there that I can use. 
So I'm frantically trying to um, get my code over onto one of their machines so that I can get it working before I demo it to the to the uh, to the audience. And of course, as is always the case when you uh, when you don't prepare enough, you prepare to fail, and it failed a whole lot of it. So I had to fix it live. Uh, in well, front of go. everybody. There's a demo. Which, which, yeah, yeah, it was a perfect demo, a perfect demo on not on what not to do. <laughs> nice. <laughs> test, 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 and retest. Right. I mean, that's, that's engineering one hundred and one. Uh, all right, Dean, what do you got for us? Oh well, I mean, uh, mine is also pretty similar to Ian's, but it's just in a different context. Now, um, I was running this training session, and I had about like twenty five, thirty trainees in front of me. And I was about to show them a demo on big data. Now, it was about blending, streaming, real-time big data, along with batch and intermittent data from like cloud functions and stuff. Uh, I had put this demo together some time ago. It just worked every time. I didn't really have to worry about it. Usual suspects, you know, like cloud functions, PubSub, Dataflow, BigQuery, and all that you know, all the, all the good stuff on GCP. Uh, I had put together a quick G cloud script, like a shell script to set it all up, uh, just to show how easy it is to bring up. And it was a fantastic demo. I've used it like a hundred times. It never failed on me. I had even shared it with a bunch of our Kasnians so that they could use the same demo slice and dice it for their own purpose. So it was beautiful, right? It had to just work like a Spielberg movie. Now <laughs> on the training day, I run it. I run the setup script, .sh, and it breaks. Of course. Now, I'm wondering, ooh, I've shared it with so many people. Why does it break now? And that made me realize, oh, cool. That's because the gcloud, I mean, sorry, the GCS bucket names, they are supposed to be globally unique. Because I shared it with other colleagues, they would have Ah. run it and they would have created their own buckets. So what to do? Uh, a demo that yep. doesn't work turns into a Michael Bay movie. So a little bit of Bayhem in the training is good to have. So I just showed the showed the audience how to play with it, how to, I mean, why GCS bucket names are unique and why they are important. Yep. Yep. Simple G Cloud script, fixed it up, yep. ran it again. Yep. It all worked. So yeah, that was my horror story. Yeah. I love that you used the. I love that you used the fail as a learning experience for the audience, though. Yeah, that's that's, that's cool. The best way now on buckets and doing that. Now I I I'd had been doing something a little bit naughty um, in the past <laughs> when I created my buckets. A great way to get them globally unique is to include the project name in the bucket, right? Absolutely. Because the project, ha- but that's not best practice. Best practice, and I only found this out recently, is to not include. Anything like the project name, the project ID, any PII in the bucket name. The bucket name should yep. be completely abstracted away from anything like that. Totally, yeah, 100%. So, you, yeah, put yeah. A, you put a like a, a four or five alphanumeric characters on the end of the bucket. Yeah, well, there's a Terraform unique. function to generate a random string, so you can use that, yep. right? Yep. Um, yep. Anyway... Um, Bruno, I'm sure you've got some great ones. What, what do you What do you got first, Bruno? Well, I don't have a lot of. No, I'm kidding. I have many, many of them. Probably last us the entire show. But I I have two that came to mind when you you guys were talking about. It. I'll give you a, a demo one. If that's not enough, I'll I'll give you the second one. I have in two mind. Two would be great. Yeah. So you know, uh, this actually is a few years ago. This is before Google. So I, I tell me if it qualifies. But um, as you might imagine, I've been in the product uh, function for a long time. And, and uh, I was at uh, another company doing 
demos and we were going on this global tour launching these these amazing products in every city we had a, an amazing setup where you go on stage and lots of people in the room and there's always a backup that would shadow me in case the thing would fail and so it was kind of nice because i had the switch box in front of me and if my environment would fail i just press the switch box and then i'd continue presenting but then somebody else would do the demo on my behalf and so we did this probably it was a 10 city tour so i probably did this for 560 five cities back to back no problem everything worked as as planned and on the sixth city, I just became kind of maybe overconfident. So that's probably the lesson here. Oh it was in London. And I told the backup person, I said, you know what? You've worked really hard this week. Just, I don't think this works so well. I don't think I need a backup. So take a break on this one. I'll do it by myself. And as you can imagine, I go on stage, hundreds of people in the room, open the demo, everything crashes. And it was the most embarrassing moment because oh, in that case, you know, I mean, there's just no way you can recover that because the backup person is gone and you essentially have to skip the demo. So I guess the lesson there is even if you've done it a million times before and it works all the time, just expect it that it will fail um, yeah. because you're really sorry when, um, when you don't. Uh, you know, one of the most famous demo fails, I think, was uh, Chris Capicello's demo when... Um, he was Bill Gates' speechwriter. I don't know if you remember this one where he plugs in the printer into the USB, yeah. uh, into the USB to show you can have a printer and then the, the thing just blue screens on him. Yeah, yeah. One of the famous <laughs> ones. And Chris Capicello today, I mean, I worked with him. He's a very talented, great executive. I think he's the CMO at Microsoft today. So clearly you can recover these demo failures very well and they don't get in your way. But yeah, for me, I will never do that again. I will always yeah. have the backup, even though I might not feel like I need it. I won't make that mistake again. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the, uh, I think the key here is how you handle it when it does all start burning. Uh, it's like, if you can just keep powering on and, and in my case, just fix it on stage while you're, while you're demoing it, then you've recovered and I think that's that teaches the audience more than than if you sort of oh no it's broken we'll skip the demo oh um, yeah absolutely but, but yeah. obviously when you when you're demoing to hundreds and hundreds of people and you just don't have time to fix it you're on a schedule that's that's yeah, I think it's, it's fact of life right like ev everything fails eventually and, and and the real genius is in recovering from it and and showing how yeah. to troubleshoot showing how to fix things scope creep happens unexpected always happens <laughs> if yeah. it can yeah. fail it will you know one of Absolutely. the uh, the hacks that we we've created now for big tent events is you not only have a backup but you also have a screen by screen of the actual demo for every click mm. you have oh, yeah. a, a screen of it so I mean, the last thing that could, I guess, fail you is the actual screen. But if, if at your event, the screen fails, you get bigger problems than your demo. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I would say what I learned from that experience a long time ago is have a backup of a backup of the backup. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what you've got. End up with there, multiple, multiple layers of backups, yeah. Speaking of that, uh, I learned that the first iPhone release that Steve Jobs did on the stage, uh, which was the landmark product uh, unveil, in fact, he had not one or two, but seven iPhones. And it was so flaky back then. It was still a prototype. He couldn't really run the whole demo sequence on a single iPhone. It would just crash. So the, he had seven iPhones, each with a user manual on which piece to show on which phone. And he would just switch between them throughout the demo. Right. 
yeah and and the and a group of engineers behind stage were, were actually you know with tequila and vodka and they had to take a shot every time a demo went successfully <laughs> and by the by the end of the demo all the seven iPhones were exhausted and they were all like totally wasted yeah <laughs> <laughs> well there you go that's another way to encourage a good demo <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's get on here with a bit of an interview. Now uh, we do have some interview questions for you, Bruno. Nothing, nothing too deep and serious. Um, we'll get onto the news items later, and uh, you know, hopefully, you've got something. We'll, we'll hear a bit more from you, technical then. But um, we've got a couple of sort of light questions here, and we wanted to know straight off the bat. Um, How's the car cast going? What are your plans for it? You know, have you got any, who have been some of your biggest interviewees and have you got any plans for any big interviewees coming up? Well, thanks. You know, it's kind of interesting that you're saying, what's the plan for the car cast? Because the whole idea is there's no plan. And what I mean by that is <laughs> the way the car cast is designed is on the few key principles that I just started about three years ago, where basically it's what happened this week that is interesting. I mean, if, if you don't know the car cast it's in, and you, you subscribe to it, it's a, it's a YouTube uh, playlist and you can find it on LinkedIn. If you follow me, um, basically I sit in my car and I talk for what, five to 10 minutes about the biggest, um, you know, discoveries of this past week. And, uh, um, this started because I was, um, talking to chief data officer who was telling me, you know, this world is so noisy that it's difficult for me to tell what matters and what doesn't. And when he asked me that, I told him, it was a Friday, so I told him, hey, I think these are the five things that happened this week that really are relevant to you. And he said, I wish someone could bottle that for me every weekend. And so that weekend, I sat down my car, and I just figured out, okay, what's the lowest tech effort with the highest impact? They could just put the iPhone, look at the iPhone, talk into it, I don't even edit it. I just push it to YouTube and then yep. uh, it seems like people are getting a ton of value. So there is no specific plan except that, you know, if there is someone in town or someone that I met, you know, that week uh, has interesting insights, I'll invite them. You know, the whole idea is it's not designed to promote the company I work for. This is really a service to the community. Uh, so if you have, if you're listening to this, you have ideas, you can reach out to me now. I've even evolved it to, uh, I can do it even when you're in my car and you're in your car in a different city. So I've got yeah, to see now you do remote one. Do yeah. yeah. So I could do I remote it, yeah. once as well. Yeah. And it's, it's been, it's been really useful. I've, I've learned probably as much as I've shared. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that's the thing for us doing this show as well. Like we learned stacks and it keeps us right on the edge of like the latest info coming through. And even internally inside Casno, someone will say, oh, what about this? And I'll say, we talked about that in the show six weeks ago. <laughs> like, here, yep. here it is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Happens all the time, right, guys? Yeah, um, yeah, and, of course, for the car cast, oh. you've got to have your sunnies. What are, what are your favorite sunnies? Are you, are you asking me or? <laughs> I'm asking I, you, yeah. I only have one pair. And sunnies, I'm assuming, is sunglasses. Is that correct? Oh, sunglasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sunnies. Don't worry. Right. We're going to get on the Aussie slang in a minute. You're going to translate that. Remember, I'm French and, I, and I've learned English, so I, I'm, I gotta, I'm okay to switch, but you got to tell me. Uh, so... I only have one pair of glasses. Actually, that's not true. I have two pairs of glasses. One that is the one that I wear. is a. Uh, it's actually a French pair of glasses. Uh, my first job after school was 
uh, working on deploying ERP at a company called Decathlon. So it's a French retailer and they make these beautiful aviator glasses. So that's what I wear. And then I've also worn the uh, Facebook um, glasses, you know, the ones with the cameras that you could take photos and videos because they're they're super comfortable. Uh, And uh, so those are the two that I kind of rotate. And uh, like you said, early on, you have to wear the glasses as well if you're on my show. So definitely, if you're a guest, that's a requirement. You must have the glasses. (laughs) I think you were wondering, Banky, like what's the story behind sunglasses being a prerequisite for the guest as well? Yeah, there's, there's no real story. It's just a cool factor. You know, if you're driving around in sunny California, you got to wear glasses. And, uh, you know, when I started it, I would, um, I did, I think one when I was driving and people got really upset about that. So now I'm not driving. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I am parked. The Tesla drives itself, right? I mean, exactly. <laughs> um, I'm parked, I'm safe, and uh, I, I still wear the glasses because it's sunny. Now, speaking of the French thing, we were going to give you a bit of a rub up about the French football team, but it looks like they've actually been going pretty well lately, so we couldn't yeah, do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're not the world champions anymore, so you no. can give me a hard time about that. No, but they, they've won the last sort of three or four games in the, in the local league uh, in France, from what, I, from what I've seen on, the, on Soccer Way, because oh, in, in Australia, we call that soccer. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so we've got, you beat England and you beat Morocco. Lost against Argentina, beat Netherlands, and beat Republic of Ireland. That's been the last few games. Yeah. We lost the World Cup to Argentina. Yeah. Actually, it was it was uh, even though I did not like the outcome, it was kind of fun to watch it uh, because I uh, have lots of uh, customers who are Argentinians and who've become friends of mine. And so I WhatsApp them during the the game. They showed me what they were doing, and so forth. And I'm a big fan of of football or soccer, and and I'm, I was really happy for Messi. And then to be honest. They worked harder. They deserve the win. So yeah. while I'm upset that we are no longer the world champion, I don't think you know we worked hard enough and the uh, Argentinians definitely deserved it. So good for them, but we'll, ke- we'll get them next time. You get it back next time, exactly. <laughs> That's it's always it. next time. <laughs> That's the spirit. Um, all right, D, you had uh, – well, okay, I'll get one more question here for you, Bruno. Um, you love sci-fi, you love The Matrix, um, and um, – you, you, what what's your favorite scene and uh what's your what, what are we saying here do do you know any scenes that were shot in australia what's your favorite scene you know it was shot in australia what's your favorite scene and and, and what's your favorite sort of point of, what do you like about the film? why i like the movie i mean it's so i like the movie because in the way it's a little bit of an analogy for what we work in you know i mean mm. i've been in the data space for over 25 years, I started when nobody really cared <laughs> about data. Yeah. It was a back office thing. And now everybody, of course, talks about data and AI and so forth. So really, but I think the analogy is that, you know, data is this light, right? That shows us what actually is reality. And, mm. uh, you know, the matrix is about that. I think the message is, you know, it's, are, are you living in the dream or are you actually are ready to have, uh, be, you know, take, take the, the right pill. Uh, take the red pill so you can get a taste of reality. And once you, you get reality, you know, kind of addicted to reality. So that's kind of what's great about the matrix. The message is that same thing goes with data. Once you know more, you want to know more. Once you know more, you realize you actually know less. So it's kind of a, this, yeah, yeah. this continuous quest for, for insight. Um, yeah, I, I am aware that some of the scenes, I think not the whole movie, I think was shot in, in Australia. And I think, um, 
my favorite, one of my favorite scenes, I think, is the lobby scene where you know Neo and mm. Trinity go, th- and I think that one actually was shot in Sydney, in downtown Sydney. Uh, one of the buildings, I can't remember the name now, but a lot of it was around Martin Place. We tend to have a lot of older. Uh, sandstone buildings around Martin Place, and they kind of look like old sort of New York buildings. So f- film crews love to film there. Yeah. So yeah, there's a few scenes I think that are that were done in in, in Australia. But yeah, so that's that's why I like the movie, uh, and uh, I, I think it's a great analogy for what we work in. And then and uh, of course the scene the the one where he just you know he gets shot out, and of course he he uh, you know he miss the bullets miss him. I think that's pretty that's pretty amazing scene. And then of yeah. course the blue pill versus yeah. the red pill. I think is is an interesting moment uh, in in the movie where you really that's the gate that you cross to get into reality. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Yeah. I don't like the um, later the later versions. I think the original one. <laughs> oh yeah, the original absolutely. Yeah, the original one was always the best. All right, D, you had some questions. Yeah. So recently, I just read about this funny thing that happened here in Australia. Some guy got a custom razor plate for his car as null N U L L, and hoping that the cameras would not actually catch him and he wouldn't get any fines. <laughs> it it actually went really very well for some time and then after a while he got a $76,000 fine and that's a big amount so it turns out that any rego plates that the camera couldn't match on defaulted to null and this guy ended up getting all those fines <laughs> so bruno do you have any tips for any better rego plates oh man i don't have uh, great ones i mean maybe try a I, I probably should try a French one or something like that, but but no, that's a pretty clever. I I would have not thought about about that one. No. So I read about it that some guy also tried dash dash drop table as a regular plate, and that seemed to work. <laughs> there you go, Bruno's. Couple of plate ideas for your Tesla, anyway. <laughs> It'd be a pretty embarrassing moment, really, for a Department of Transport if a if a number plate dash dash drop table actually dropped the entire table. <laughs> <laughs> Sequel injection at Masked. Sequel injection attack much. <laughs> right. So Bruno, the uh, other question is: You visited Sydney recently for the Gartner event, so. Just, just share a little bit about your trip to Down Under. Or what did you like about Sydney? Which places did you see? What did you find different or interesting? So this was the second time I was in Sydney, and I, and I love to come down there for many reasons. I think the first one is I'm from the south of France, so I love um, the sun. I love. I grew up n- near beach towns, and so I think we have a, a you know a lot of similarities in culture, beginning by the water and great fish. Uh, I, I love food, as you can imagine, um, in France. And so, uh, in general, I just love Sydney as a city. Um, I love the people of Sydney because I think we kind of have a lot of common uh, things to to share. So, in general, uh, if I could move there, I, I probably would. I've got lots of uh, friends that live there. Um, I went to both of the the beaches that I like, Manly Beach and um, and Bondi Beach. I actually have friends that live there that I was able to visit. So. On the personal side, uh, it was pretty amazing. I, you know, I think I showed you. You can't see it if you're listening to us, yep. but the Iceberg uh, Swimming Club uh, yep. there. So I, I, the first time I went to Sydney, I had the opportunity to go eat there, and it was incredible. So in general, on the personal side, really loved it. Uh, Sydney was the last city that I visited uh, before COVID. Mm. Um, 
because I remember it was a Gartner conference and I was, uh, I had lunch with Donald Farnborough from Gartner and that was the wow. last before getting to the airport. And I remember getting on the plane, landing here and then realized that we had to lock up for forever. <sighs> and so it has a, a special meaning, I guess. Uh, and I can't wait to come back. Uh, I think, I don't think I'll be coming back this, this one for the Sydney, uh, Gartner event this year, but I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities. We've got great customers uh, in in your area, many of of, of which you work with, uh, mm. who are great to come and visit. Um, so lots of innovation in in your part of the world. Well, we'd love to catch up with you and have a coffee, Bruno, when when you come, because you know Australia's got some of the best coffee in the world. I mean, you, you got it. You can't go without mentioning that. <laughs> exactly, uh, flat white, right? That's how I learned what a flat white was. Flat <laughs> white cappuccino, yeah, whatever, whatever. Yeah, we, also have we have a pretty, you know, actually on that, in France, we're pretty boring uh, options. Well, at least when I grew up there, I remember the first time I went to Starbucks, I was completely <laughs> overwhelmed by the amount of choices my wife. Uh, and I kind of go in and then you got the person behind the, the counters asking me all these questions. And I'm like, yes, please just make the coffee the way you make it. Because I, did, I didn't grow up with like this mass customization system. Now I'm used to it. but Yeah, Starbucks, when they were popular here, uh, somehow Australia has always leaned over, leaned over to the street side, small cafes. It, it's very Greek and, you know, the Italian culture of coffee being a place to meet. Cool. Uh, so, Bruno, you mentioned your love for wine and stuff. Have you have you visited South Australia? Any wineries there, or maybe the Hunter Valley? The legend has it that one Australian stole, actually stole the grape wine from France, brought it here in Australia, and actually the whole Hunter Valley region uh, like sprung out of it. You know, uh, I have not had the opportunity to do that because every time I've, I've come out there, you know, there's a short amount of time that I can spend outside of work. But I would love it if if we if we had the opportunity to do a customer event in one of these wineries. I'd love to try your, your wine. I, I'm a big fan fan of, of a fan of of wines, as you might imagine. Growing up in the south of France, we have a lot of great wines, and I do hear that story. Like you know, one of the wines that um, I really like is uh, is the Argentinian wines, and uh, I thought that the grape was originally from Argentina, and I found out that actually it was brought from France. So I wouldn't be surprised if that legend was true, but. <laughs> I don't have the information. I have to Google it. I have to check have to Google it. Yeah. Actual, ask, ask, Bard, yeah. ask Bard, yeah. yeah. Ask Bard. Well, guys, I didn't know wine was going to be such a talking point. Perhaps you guys, we should have put it. But we've got to move on. We've got to move on. And we thought, Bruno. We're renaming it. It's no longer GCP Life. It's now Wine Life. <laughs> it's a wine cast, yeah. I love it. We thought we'd test your knowledge of Australia. Um, we've got a couple of quick fire questions here. Um, and uh, let's let's just get on with these and see how you go, all right? Uh, first question, cab off the rank. How many times has the Australian and the French soccer teams met? Oh, man. Um... I'll give you a clue. They first met in the 90s. So I have a particular figure here. And uh, So let's see, if they, if they met the first time in the 90s, you know, I'm going to have to say every four years, I'm just going to have to guess eight times. First in 1994, and then 2001, 2018, and then finally in the World Cup in 2022. Four times. Okay. Four All times. Right. Yeah. Yep. There were two other friendlies as well. Let's just let's just quickly fire through these. Name one famous Australian food item. Is this kangaroo qualifier? Is, is that not? Yep. Um, name one famous Australian band. I don't know. I I don't know. 
Well, the, the easy the easy one's ACDC. Oh, my yep. gosh. Okay. Yep. Um, name one beer that Australians actually drink, not Foster's. Oh, bummer. <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know an Australian beer. Uh, what is the capital of Victoria? And for a bonus point, do you know how to pronounce it properly? <laughs> I don't. And I don't and I don't. <laughs> Looking at your questions, I should have really prepared for these questions, huh? <laughs> well, now, the idea is not to be prepared. <laughs> so, so it's Melbourne and it's not pronounced Melbourne. It's Melbourne. Um, all right, so listen closely for this one, Bruno. If I was to chuck you, you go to server, grab some Maccas, what am I doing? Grab some Maccas. <laughs> <laughs> chuck you, you go to the server, grab some Maccas. What am I doing? Is that choose? Can <laughs> it choose? All right, I'll break it down for you. Chuck a Yui is to, to, to make a U-turn on the street to come back to the other side. Go to the servo. Servo is a service station, you know, where you get petrol. And in Australia, a lot of service stations will have a McDonald's attached to them. Maccas is McDonald's. So together, it's Chuck Yui go to the servo, grab some Maccas. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and Ian and Dee, you perfectly understood what I said. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Knew exactly what he said. Don't worry, Bruno. I tried to make it as confusing as possible. <laughs> but, but yes, that's how we talk. <laughs> yeah, we love our slang, yeah. Um, now, you're going to have this one. There are two famous beaches in Sydney. Name at least one of them. And that I love that. Bondi Beach and Manly Beach. And Bondi and Manly, yep. fantastic. Oh, I love yeah, Manly Beach. Awesome place. Um, what is, who is our current Prime Minister? Oh, no. I don't know. It's tricky because he's only just re- he's only just elected. Well, yeah, in the most recent. Yeah, a few and, months and, ago, yeah. And to pronounce his name is a bit tricky too. It's Anthony Albanese. You know, we know who Macron is, so come on. <laughs> 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 um, what is a thong? Well, there's only nope, two answers. Not what you're one. thinking. <laughs> not what I'm thinking. <laughs> nope. uh, so that, is it flip-flops then or no? Flip-flops, correct, yes. And 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 finally, do you know what Vegemite is made of? I have had it, and it's been <laughs> a mystery of what's mm. in it. It relates, to, it relates to one of the other questions that we asked. Exactly. It does? Mm, it yeah. has McDonald's in it? Nope. <laughs> no, it no. has Malt, it's got some malt in it, right? It uh, it relates to the beer question. <laughs> yeah. It's somehow related so, to beer. What it actually is, it's what's left over from the beer fermentation in the bottom of the barrel, and then they scrape that out, and then they produce Vegemite from that. It's very salty. There's got to be a good yeah. amount of salt in it. Awesome, awesome guys. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for that, Bruno. Those questions were really insightful, and... Uh, we, we now know what you don't know about Australia as well, as well as what you know, which is great. That's got to come back, yeah. All right, let's get on with the community news. Uh, this week in community news, we only have one news item, uh, and it's it's quite uh, relative, actually. We have um, a dish who's one of our uh, cloud engineers from Kasna. He's giving a talk in Brisbane. He's coming up your way, Ian. Um, and he's it's a talk on blending multimodal data in GCP. Do you know anything more about that? 
Oh yeah, I mean, uh, we we do a lot of projects where uh, there's a lot of streaming data involved. There's time series data, there's bulk data, there's user activity, which is fairly intermittent. You know, like when people like comment or subscribe on their apps or web apps. So it's how do you really get insights out of this kind of a zoo or web of data? Right. Uh, some some is real time, some is bulk. So we we build. Um, highly efficient systems on gcp to blend all this data in real time so that you can get some insights out of it so that's what adish is going to be uh, actually demonstrating it's live it's hands on it's really simple code and you should not miss it yeah yeah cool yeah. and it says in the thing here uh, in this talk we'll be looking at leveraging fully managed products on gcp to perform etl in da- big data from channels with unified pipelines using dataflow so if you're into etl and dataflow then get to that talk I'm going to learn a lot on the first yeah. of June. You'll All also right, so going to actually... learn how to do ETL without really doing ETL. So Adish is also going to show how to do data without pipelines. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome, guys. All right, so we actually get on with some news items and talk about Google Cloud for a bit. Okay, let's, let's do get, it. Let's get on with the news items. First item for today is all data cloud all the time, recapping the Google Data Cloud AI Summit. Uh, now, I don't know, Bruno, did you have any takeaways from the data summit? Yeah, so lots lots of great uh, uh, news items that people could pay attention to. In fact, they should uh, follow on and sign up for I.O., of course. Uh, and if they don't, they can watch the recording and of course, get excited about the announcements at, uh, at Google Next. So if you look through uh, how we think about uh, the, what matters to customers is essentially a few uh, areas. The first one is customers want an open cloud. They want uh, solutions that work within their current environment. So we'd spend a lot of time making sure we talk about the partner news that we have. So you, if you look at the blog that's uh, available, you see a lot about the announcements around the partner ecosystem and so forth. So that's probably the first bit to look at is what are we doing on the open side, how are people building solutions on top of our Google data cloud, but also um, what is it that we do in the market to meet you where you are today. So another great example is around um, Alloy DB Omni, which is a, a way for you to get more of your technology in an environment that is more familiar to you. So you don't have to just essentially uh, only run uh, your environments on, on our platform. So really committed to building on top of the, mm-hmm. of the data ecosystem. To run, sec- run that on-premises, right? That's what this site. That's right. Saying. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. So yeah. You, you should uh, give, it, give it a shot here if you haven't tried it yet. Um, the, the second area is uh, about intelligence. So we have really focused on how do we use intelligence to make your workloads run better, faster, stronger, uh, et cetera, and et cetera. So you might have seen everything we've done around auto-scaling for a big query, and that's a big breakthrough because today when organizations are growing their uses or the number of people running uh, queries on their platform, it's really difficult in an old VM-based environment to scale effectively. And what auto-scale does is It charges you at the line of consumption. So it's really cost effective for organizations. um, But it's also something where you know that our infrastructure is going to follow you as you grow. And so uh, really tapping into Google's ability to use artificial intelligence at scale is, is, I think, a huge advantage. And we continue investing in that because we know uh, that companies uh, need to think about 
not just the cost, but the cost versus the performance and how we're supporting them as they grow. And so that's the second, the second area. And then, of course, if you have seen all the work we've done with uh, Gen AI, and if you've missed the, uh, the keynotes there, of course, there's, uh, this is an area that's um, you know, very hot right now, and people are talking about it now, but we have been in this uh, Gen AI business for a very, very long time. So we can bring a lot of experience there, a lot of history, and also think about how to you know, take a lot of these concepts into um, you know, a responsible, enterprise-ready a type of environment for your organizations. Uh, you know, I'd say that beyond just looking at our blogs or even our event, try to connect with the community. There is a great blog. If you follow me on LinkedIn, I just recently uh, promoted this this blog by one of our customers. He's the CVP for cloud platforms at Walmart, where he talks about how to think about Gen AI as a set of frameworks, set of principles for your own organization. And so I would I would look at that before you look at you know, how vendors are telling you how to think about Gen AI, talk to customers, talk to people that have invested a large amount of their budget, their team, sometimes even their careers, and how to take advantage of new technology like that. So definitely look for those. And like I said, a great example of, of that is, is Anil's uh, blog, uh, who's CVP of Data Platform at Walmart. I really want to invite you to, you know, read his blog, but also maybe reach out to him uh, so you can figure out how to do it best at your company. Mm, mm. There are many more, and if you know, if you give me the mic, of course, I'm going to keep on talking about <laughs> everything we're doing. We'll, we'll the get on the intelligence side is 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 also a lot of innovation there with was, the modeler. Yeah, so we'll get on to Luca. We've got a little article about Luca model, modeler down here a bit further, but um, that's 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 great, Bruno. To get your insights on that, and I mean, you hit all the hot topics there that came out of it for sure. Um, but um, just just before we get on to Luca, we wanted to just. Um, and you brought this to my attention about ANZ Bank using risk reporting as a change agent. Yeah, I did. So, so this was this was on the uh, Google Cloud blog, and um, last year ANZ set out to accelerate its digital transformation and provide a single, consistent, high quality set of corporate data across the organisation. Um, which is like, ANZ are a massive user of Google Cloud. Um, they've got a huge number of projects in there, and it's uh, it, it's quite awesome to see. Uh, where they're going with their with their cloud transformation, but this uh, this particular thing um, allows ANZ's risk department plans to migrate and and condense a hundred distinct on-premise systems uh, to fifty-five cloud-based systems with one single Google Cloud deployed risk data hub at the center. Um, th- this is huge. You know what's interesting about a lot of these migrations is you know, innovative organizations like ANZ. They really take the advantage of moving to the cloud as an opportunity to accelerate transformation. So you can see it's 100 systems on-prem, but it's not 100 systems in the cloud. And the reason for that is optimization of work processes that they're doing where they can now do more things, probably faster, uh, because they're migrating to the cloud. So really the lesson for us is a lot of customers that are just jumping into a, a you know, lift and shift and are missing the opportunity to modernize and transform, you know, um, might not, you know, take advantage of this cloud migration to its full. So this is a great um, a story, a great journey. Um, and uh, as I'm sure you'll be sharing the link to the blog, as, as I always Absolutely. say, if it's, particularly if it's authored by the customer, it's, it's, it's so much more powerful because now 
you can reach out to to them and, and ask them a little bit more about their journey, who they hired to make this happen, what were the um, the obstacles on the way. Uh, and so I love I love to read these stories. Yeah, and this one this one was it uh, uh, authored co-authored with, by the head of reporting and modelling at ANZ. So I'm just quoting bits and pieces out of that article itself because they do some really cool stuff in Google Cloud. They they dig down into the products that they're using and how they've done it, and there's quite a detailed article. I'll link that in the show notes. Everyone should go and have a read of that for sure. Uh, now, we'll move on here. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, but um, we've got a couple of articles here from Looker. Um, now, this this grabbed our interest during the week, and we thought we'd, we'd report on it. Um, Looker, now available from Google Cloud Console. Looker helps make it easy to get insights from business data and to build data-driven applications with unified metrics for ease of collaboration. Now, Dee, you brought this to my attention. What what did you think of it? Yeah, that's right. Uh, now, Looker is, of course, fantastic BI platform. It's really powerful. Everything is code-driven. We can version control things like looks and explores and dashboards and stuff. So it's lovely. However, setting up the whole Looker environment, uh, it used to be a fair bit of work. And now what GCP has done is they've embedded Looker right into G Cloud Console. So we can spin up a Looker instance just like we would create a VM instance or just like we would create a pub subtopic. So it's as easy as that. And they call it Looker Co. So this is really exciting. And there's also like a no-cost 30-day trial, which, which is a game changer because a lot of people used to see these as barriers to entry into Looker, being able to set up, being able to play with it. So this really excites me. Uh, what, what do you think, Bruno? What, do you have any more details on this? Oh, I'm a big fan of, of Looker. You know, I've spent a lot of time working in the business intelligence space. And, you know, of course, we're very excited to provide this new capability to, to customers. I would also say that Looker is is not just a, a business intelligence platform. It's really, if you the way to think about it, particularly for the data engineers listening to us, it's a great opportunity for you to use it as a platform or a framework to build data products. You know, what we know customers want to do is they want to go way beyond the dashboards. You know, a dashboard can create great insights for somebody who's a business analyst or someone who's used to, you know, filter information. But most people are not dashboard consumers. People consume data products, consumer-grade data products, uh, where they want to interact with the data in real time, right? So that's one of the advantages of Looker is it's a real-time platform. Uh, it's uh, using you know language that is SQL plus plus, if you will, so LookML. And so, if you're a data engineer and if you're looking at a modern way to get more adoption uh, for business intelligence, you know Looker really is the uh, the solution for that. I don't think that it competes with self-service BI tools. I think it really is a new way to think about how you build data products. And so, we're excited now that you can just like you said, go into your console and start. Uh, working with it because we expect a lot of people build build great data products with it. And how does this uh, Looker Modeler working with that? So the concept of Looker Modeler is this idea that you know it used to be that to build uh, BI solutions you had semantics that were tied to the interface, right? So if you're building in the traditional sense, you know when I started a business objects, you know the universe that creates the semantic works. But it only works if you're using a dashboard that's a business objects dashboard. Well, what we've discovered is in the new world, people want to value the, the semantics. So they love this idea that I can have one definition of the term customer. 
but I want that definition to be consumed across multiple interfaces. So in one time, it could be inside Google Sheet. It could also be maybe in a Tableau uh, environment. And maybe it could be in Looker dashboard, or maybe it's consumed through an API. And so a Looker model gives us the ability to make this functionality, this semantic layer, if you will, that is the definition of your business to be consumed across any application. It really is a game changer because, you know, uh, the tradition is that you're tying your semantics to your interface and it's very limiting. You know, the history of BI tools that follow this rule get to 30% adoption and it's really, really hard. 30 to 35%, I think, is the latest data in the industry. Here, what we're trying to do is, what is the best way that we can give insights to as many people as possible because we are going to make that available in the tools and the work processes that they're familiar with, right? API applications, dashboards, et cetera, and also have it as a way that can be trusted. Because what happened in the old world of where semantics were tied to the dashboards, you also leaned on different definitions. So Ian had the definition of customer, Bruno had a definition of customer, and well, that definition was consumed in different dashboards, and now we would spend a lot of time just arguing the definition rather than just focusing on the business. So that's what it's right. designed to solve for. I love it. Uh, so Banky, uh, it also mentions that now Luca models can be shared with coworkers. You know, like LookML drafts can then be circulated for review and collaboration. I love it. Yeah. it it's like Fantastic. just using Google yeah. Sheets or Google Docs, like yeah. a whole team can work on the models together. This, this Gen AI, this is really interesting. Um, so just reading the release notes and it sounds like it's like a Gen app builder is more like if you want to use bar like capability with our own data, uh, Gen app builder is the tool that we could use and it can simplify uh, getting this kind of intelligence in the context of our own data or organization. Sounds really exciting. It is exciting because I think a lot of uh, the, the, you know, the buzz around Gen AI today is, you know, is very good for consumers and people get excited about it. But the questions that we get from, you know, uh, data leaders or, you know, leaders in general is that how do I apply this uh, to my business on a daily basis? How do I build an application on this? And so I think uh, that's what this is designed for is the idea that we want to use all this experience we've had for many, many years in this particular business and particular technology and I think about how it can be a value add for your organization. Beyond just answering questions, could it uh, trigger uh, particular uh, workflows inside your application? So if you watch the, the Gen AI Builder um, uh, demo, you'll see that it's very accessible to most developers. And it's also integrated with workflows and applications that translate the Gen AI technology into specific applications that adds value to the consumers of that application. Um, and so I think that's kind of how to think about the evolution of this is while we're, you know, certainly a lot of excitement around Gen AI in general, I think what most data leaders and more business leaders are asking is, how do I think about this for building the next generation of applications for myself? So certainly there's a potential for acceleration and value creation. And you also have to be responsible about how you do it. How does it scale? How is data used? All these key questions here that, you know, data right. leaders who seriously want to use the technology asking themselves. 
Right. That that's fascinating. And and usually we hear this as uh, one of the barriers to entry where a lot of skills are required in uh, you know before getting into data science and ML and AI. However, gen app builder now this is really appealing to me because it clearly says that customers will be able to just jump on and use the gen AI tech with their own data and that's a game changer. And and build um, AI apps like Bard uh, within the context of their o- own organization. So I'm just like, perhaps it's a long shot, but maybe someday soon um, with Luca Modeler, all these models will be available to be used by Gen App Builder so that we can just give voice commands and build Luca models maybe. Well, you know, I'd say send us the, the feature request and we'll, we'll try to, to get to it. Uh, in my dream, uh, is sometimes I dream that with these feature requests, we'll even name the, re- the feature after you. So who, who knows? Maybe we'll, we'll get to that. But I think the meta point that you're making is, is, a, very, uh, is a great one because ultimately, you know, we're going to break through here when more people participate in the innovation. Yeah, I think, you know, what we saw, I think, in, in the earlier... In, generations of innovation with data is it was very specialized and the disadvantage of you know making a technology that's so specialized sometimes becomes cryptic to the rest of the organization sometimes maybe it's not trusted and so the adoption is lacking and you know what you're creating is you're creating silos not of data not just of technology but you're creating silos between people which we think is a huge limitation for innovation acceleration. And a great example is the adoption of BigQuery machine learning um, is showing us that having machine learning as a feature, if you will, or a functionality that is part of BigQuery allows us to create more innovation through more people. And we need to start thinking that way. I think the you know this idea of have moving from a data warehouse to a data science environment with separate talents, separate languages, with no bridge between the two systems is really costing a lot of money uh, for organizations and, and it's creating a lot of silos that are just really not needed. And so the more you can have unification, the more you can have you know, environments that bring people together so they can collaborate and create together, you're lowering the cost of, of experimentation, which is ultimately what you want, more ideas. You know? And with more ideas, well, you're bound to find better things. Uh, what we used to do, unfortunately, limited the amount of ideas seeing a life to production. So that's what all these innovations are designed. Fantastic. Love it. And I also love the way Google names its products, like the whole generative AI support for Vertex AI. There's something called Model Garden. I love the sound of it. I'll let the marketing team know that you're, you're, you like that. That's great. I mean, uh, Cloud Spanner, nobody needs to be explained what Spanner does. It spans, mate. <laughs> okay it's the time we've all been waiting for let's get on with the ai wars ai wars yeah look this week in ai wars we're in the ai space we're starting to see the effects of where how ai might affect jobs um ibm has come out and uh, in a in a and and they said IBM will freeze hiring. It expects about seven eight hundred jobs to re- be replaced by artificial intelligence in the coming years. The tech giant said, um, I, "Look, is this is this inevitable? Is this what's going to happen? We're going to see more of this." 
look, I think for certain for certain roles, AI is certainly going to be prob- probably a, uh, a a better solution. But for the most part, mm. I don't think AI is going to replace that many jobs. I- I'd be interested to hear what other people think on this. This is just my very uh, rudimentary understanding of what AI can and can't do currently. Yeah. What about the argument that it's going to create just as many jobs as it replaces? Well, there there is that too, because I mean, you've got to train this model. You've got to constantly provide feedback to it. It's it, there's that whole that whole thing where um, people have got to maintain this thing. Right. Yeah, got to keep the machine going. Yeah. I just see it as the typewriter or the computer. Like earlier, people used to had stuff with hand, and then the typewriter came along. But still, somebody had to type and maintain those machines. And then there was also someone who had to review and edit the the draft that was typed. So even though all these things like BARD and ChatGPT maybe, uh, these can provide a good starting point. Uh, it does definitely create a lot of jobs in terms of editorial avenue. Mm. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we're thinking about, about the problem different, you know, wrong, I think, by just looking at the jobs themselves. I think if you look at the history of technology, what what do companies want? They want more value. They want to be able to innovate. They want their people to have the tools that they need in order to do their jobs faster and better. And so I think, you know, focusing on will this, uh, how will this affect the, the jobs? I think it will certainly change the nature of some tasks inside the jobs, but I think it's just really difficult to predict if it will uh, really you know, change. I mean, the way that this company here is, is dealing with it, I wonder, you know, how much of that is narrative versus, you know, the reality, because what, just like you said, right, with innovation, some task will disappear, uh, some jobs will be redefined, and hopefully what we'll see is more value. And with more value, well, you get more jobs, right? Mm-hmm. More value leads to more bigger economy, and that bigger economy leads to uh, more jobs. So I would just I would just focus on that. If you're if you're an organization today, um, and you're thinking about AI, I would focus about what is your profession as an organization. What are the jobs to be done that you're solving for your customers, mm. and are you able to now take advantage of technology and the way to solve these problems for your customers faster or better? Uh, because if you can do that, then I can tell you that will create more jobs for you. <laughs> that yeah. will create more opportunities for more people to participate in this value creation. That's what it's about, isn't it? Creating more opportunities for that business and 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 and, and encouraging the growth that will result from that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and this is the thing, right? So they're they're saying you know seventy eight hundred jobs might go, but you're right, Bruno, because then the adoption of AI will probably lead to requirement to then hire more people because they'll be able to do more with what the tool set that, that 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 they have then they'll find they'll be able to do more with it that's right that's why i like the the, the theory of jobs to be done you know this is if if you like to read about books like this this is a uh, clayton christensen's uh, book on uh actually i have it right here so i could pull up and tell you the actual competing against luck the story of innovation and customer choice and it's a great book because it explains that the problems have been the same. It's just the way that we solve the problems and the ability to solve the problems better with better technology, better processes, better organizational structures that enable us to get to value creation. And value creation is what creates more jobs. Uh, and the way you innovate is what gets you the more jobs. So I think that's how I would look at it. You know, of course, you know, 
it's difficult the type of organization you have the types of tasks within certain prof professions you know how will they be transformed but i think ultimately my you know i would tend to think that by creating successfully creating more value we actually will get a bigger economy which means more jobs more opportunities for people mm, mm. um while we're at it too i did want to mention there is, is another company called chegg and they're a um they're a, an education company in the US and my wife works in education. This is why this sort of drew my attention. But they're same problem here, right? Their CEO came out and mentioned, oh, everyone's using chat GPT now. They don't need our education services and the share price dropped 40%. So everyone's a little bit twitchy about it at the moment and they don't – I think – they don't quite understand. I mean, what you explained to us just then was very, very insightful, Bruno. And I don't think the people that are, you know, reacting to these things understand it to that level. So, um, I, the, what I'm what I'm sensing at the moment, Bruno, is is don't panic about it. Um, it's it's actually going to be really beneficial once we work it all out. I think so. I think you know, if you're a CEO of an organization that's in in that business, is uh, certainly you know inspect. You know what's creating value from your organization. You know what what is your job, and what are the jobs that you're solving for for your customers? Why do they hire you to solve their issues, and how can you use this technology in a responsible manner that accelerates the creation of value that your structure currently provides? You know it will require uh, adaptation. You know I think it was uh, Steve Hawkins that said intelligence is the ability to adapt, and so in a lot of businesses, yeah, you will need to adapt, but um, I, I think I would just start with the core principles and then go from there. Um, yeah, I, so I, I know when you read in the press, there's a lot of sensation and things like that. So it's also difficult to judge the details. I don't know this company in particular and, and their details, but oh, uh, there's a lot that's how I would look yeah. at it. You know, I, I would yeah. look at that before. I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot like the advent of computers. Really, like computers became mainstream and, and business started adopting it, and, and certain jobs disappeared because of that. Um, but other jobs were created because of that. So this is this is just the next evolution. Yeah. Then was a smartphone. Yeah, that replaced a bunch of devices, but yeah. also created more jobs because people who made watches now create apps. Yep, that's exactly right. Though mm. I still wear mm. an old school watch. <laughs> <laughs> you did mention Bruno while we're on the subject here. Um, you interviewed Merv Adrian in the car cast uh, a little while ago. One of your, one of your oldest friends, uh, you were saying in the, in the car cast, and you mentioned three key attributes of AI. You said trust, interaction, where you're referring to multi multimodal and contextual, um, action, uh, which refers to information, action, need to work together. And I think you just touched on some of those points then. And you were after a fourth one. Now I thought, well, what would be a fourth one that? that would relate to that. Now, this doesn't relate directly to AI, but I think it's important that AI is accessible and equitable. I mean, we're talking about jobs, right? If, if you've got some people that don't have access to AI and other people that do, there's a real inequality there, right? Uh, I think that, that's got to be another key thing that we're, we, 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 you know, we hold the flag for as AI advances. Absolutely. In fact, you know, when I was in the car with Merv, one of the attributes he proposed was transparency. Mm -hmm. right? Transparency because it's at the, at the core of how you trust, you know, what the model is actually doing. And so it's, a, it's an interesting debate because part of access and equality or equitability, I think, is, is that's what I was thinking. I was thinking about action is that 
you know, why, why is all this technology interesting is that ultimately someone is going to take an action that's going to create, you know, your forward progress or something like that. And so what are the attributes of that? Well, the first one is you absolutely have to trust the input. And that's the big question you got to ask of your models is, you know, are you trusting the, the quality of the data that's coming in um, mm. before you actually take action on, on the information? So trust, uh, access, the ability of many more people to be able to make decisions on highly trusted information is, is, uh, is I think, is a key requirement for that technology to, to work. And you're right that there's also an opportunity for AI to make technology that was not accessible to everyone accessible to more people and so uh i mean i only see tremendous opportunity here uh as long as of course people use it responsibly and then they have you know core principles on how they deploy it uh within their business the the the, the bit that scares me a little bit here is how you know as you were showing you know uh articles and things like that where the market buzz is taking precedence over the you know our ability to think about having good judgment about these technologies. Uh, and so that's really what we have to watch out for. What, what are your principles? What is the business you're in? And are you using technology in, in alignment with that? I love it. I love it. And, and Bruno makes a really fine point there. It's debatable, which also makes me wonder, uh, things are really tightly controlled as long as they are not democratized. But in the name of equity and accessibility, the moment we democratize things, we also then need governance to make sure that the earlier principles are upheld as well. Absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the products that we made uh, available last year is a product called Dataplex, our intelligent data fabric. And that product's been extremely successful and primarily because what it does is it uses artificial intelligence to go through your systems and take care of data management, data discovery, and gives you some insight about what's going on with your data. We just introduced Lineage earlier this year, which, you know, created a great way for data leaders to see what's going on across their data estate. That's really the most important principle, right? Everything we do runs on trust. If you can't trust it, it doesn't matter how beautiful your applications are. It doesn't matter if this person says, you know, you can click here and you get this great filter there. And this, if you don't trust the data, you know, it's a non-starter. And so I think we tend to forget that. You know, and I, and I think if you look back to why are some of these applications or dashboards not used, is it because they don't look great? Or is it because there's always <laughs> a question in the back of the executive saying, I don't believe that. That's, that can't be possible. So being able to trace back and showing that it is possible mm. uh, is, I think, an important one. I'll give you an example of, I know I'm probably babbling too much to anyone, me too, but give you an example of an organization we worked with uh, I think it actually might be in your in your geography. It's a it's a high end hotel, and they were looking to run marketing campaigns at a particular segment in their market, and they're trying to identify. We're going to run campaigns to the top influencers that come to this hotel. Who has the most impact to driving more traffic to your hotel? And you know, natural uh, common sense would say, well, it's people that stayed at the hotel, guests. You know, they stay in the hotel, they love it, and they write a review, and there you go, the highest five stars uh, will drive the most traffic. What they actually found out after we looked at the data and built this great application for them is it was not people staying at the hotel, it was people dropping off guests at the hotel, the Ubers, the taxis, that were actually writing reviews, and they were doing that because anytime they drop off somebody there, they would get to talk about the hotel, and they would get a great tip, a tip that is 
higher than the average tip they would typically get. Really, you know, unexpected insights. But if you don't have the trusted platform and you can't go back and show where that data comes from, well, then the executive will totally ignore you the wouldn't believe it. that tells them. Oh, the biggest influencer yeah. is this taxi over there. Okay, it's clearly something's wrong, right? So trust, trust. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in our business, and particularly, I think as we look at AI, is is the 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 core recipient, or uh, the core ingredient. I'm sorry, the core ingredient to uh, to making this work. That's that's incredible. I would never have picked a taxi driver or, or an Uber driver as the as the biggest driver of traffic to a hotel. That's right. Yeah, incredible. Yep. incredible. Surprising, right? Yeah. Yep. Well, speaking of input data and trusting input data, we might finish up on this one as as a bit of a fun one. Um, scientists have used a large language model to read people's minds. Have you guys seen this? How this? What's going on here? This is fascinating. Now, I'll, I'll give you the quick TLDR on it. Um, we're all familiar with fMRI, right? Right. So, functional magnetic resonance imaging. So, what it's actually doing? It's 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 taking a magnetic resonance of your brain and it's recording the blood flow in your brain. So, it, and then it infers the brain activity uh, based on the level of blood that's going to the various regions of the brain, right? Now, what they've been able to do is train a large language model based on the patterns that occur when you listen to a podcast or you listen to a book reading or you listen to something. So what they were able to do is play the podcast to the individual and play the podcast to the model at the same time. So they've got the same set of input data and then train the model based on the fMRI data that's coming out of the fMRI, right? So now they listen for, they've got the numbers in here, 16 hours or something like that and train the model. And then after that training occurs, they can do the opposite. So the model can study the fMRI image and it can interpret what you're thinking. And not not only does it, 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 it actually gets it pretty close. For instance, a recording of a speaker saying the sentence, I don't have my driver's license yet, was decoded from the listener's thoughts via fMRI reader to say, she has not even started to learn to drive yet. Wow. Unbelievable. That's, that's, it's yeah. getting the inference of what, the thought is now this is pardon the pun mind-blowing we're reading minds with with large language models <laughs> i wonder we- how much of that that training for that specific person is transferable to the next person that they, uh, they use it on they did try that and it's completely different yep that's yep. what i figured it would be because it's it's like a fingerprint right it's your, right. your brain waves are your brain waves and they're not the same as anybody else's brain waves so because the neurons are all hooked up differently. Uh, it, That's right. It also takes us back to Bruno's point, right? Like n- now we are talking about how do I trust this? How, how much is it trustable? Like can, can I really use it instead of a lie detector uh, in a court case? Yeah, that's right. You, this opens up a lot of ethical questions, right? What if you could somehow miniaturize the fMRI device and you could read someone's brain you like you know from a distance read someone's thoughts from a distance but on the flip side of that is there's a lot of medical use cases for it right mm. what about someone that's locked in they can't speak or can't talk or whatever Comatose, yeah. and you just play a podcast to them and train them and suddenly you can read their minds and they've got a voice right that that's an amazing application of this technology that, that, that you know 
people that are in this field would never have thought that we'd be this. This is 20 or 30 years ago uh, ahead like of where they thought we would be with this sort of technology. And this has happened in a matter of months, really a matter of months. Once again, I'm getting cold chills. The, 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 you know, the tingles <laughs> happening again with what, what, this could, what this could potentially lead to. Imagine kids using this as an app on their phone. We can't parent them anymore. <laughs> anyway, guys, I'll link the article in the show notes. Go and have a look. Uh, there's, there, there's, there's a couple of abstracts and stuff around on the research that you can look at, but uh, incredible to think that, that this is what they're doing. And, and w- you know, I actually think, going back to your point, Ian, why, what happens when we start using – I mean, I mentioned LoRa before, right? So LoRa is the open source technology where we can layer – models on top of each other now we don't need to train an entire new model every time what if we start to use that with this and then we start to build up models and we may get to a point where we've got a model that includes everybody can reads everybody can read everybody's mind i don't know i'm just putting it out there <laughs> that'd be interesting it, it's it's surely i mean it no harm in trying no harm in trying but, and i'll bit i think that's what they're going to try yeah i think yeah i think there's already people out there trying it so all right, guys, the show's been awesome today. And Bruno, it's been great to have you on. Um, yeah, look, I'd love to try and do this again sometime soon in the future. Well, sometime again, sometime. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. Maybe next time we can do it in, the, in your car in Sydney. We could, yeah. Well, <laughs> that'll be an experience. Yeah, yeah fantastic. <laughs> in the patrol. <laughs> in the patrol, yeah. If it's not down in the shop, that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> don't forget to go to iTunes and write us a review. You can contact the show, life at kasna.com.au. We've got the Twitter there as well. And today's show is sponsored by Kasna. At Kasna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. Well, guys, look, this has been a fantastic show. I'm going to have an edit like you wouldn't believe to put together. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, anything else from you guys? Oh, thank you. No, no, I've got nothing. Thank you we've, very we've, much, Bruno, for your time and, and your insights. It's been Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. We learned so much just talking to Bruno as well. It was really fun. Nice chat. Nice stuff here. I love it. Let's do it again. From all of you as well. So hopefully next time I'm in Australia, we can spend some time together in person. Let's do that. All right. That's about it from us. We'll catch you in two weeks. Bye. 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 It's it's interesting the 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 on the wine thing the the difference between Australian wine and French wine is is quite prolific. It's uh, I, I find French wine to be uh, so, so generally I'll drink a Pinot Gris or a Pinot Grigio, uh, and the French version uh, we've got a restaurant up here that that sells the French version, and um, and the French one is so much more buttery than the Australian version. It's so much nicer to drink. Well, that's good to hear. I'm happy we're recording that.